Imagine for a moment that you have the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with a friend. Then imagine that miraculously, that friend believes and is moved out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Then what? Where do you go from there? How do you help that person grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ? Uh, how, do you, how do you explain this uh, mysterious dynamic of spending time with an invisible God? It's unlike any other relationship that we've ever had. They might ask you, well, what should I expect? I saw Prince of Egypt and there were burning bushes. Is that what's going to happen? Well, maybe not. Day in and day out, what does it mean to grow in a relationship with God? How do you spend time with the living God? This morning what I want to do is I want to kind of synthesize some of the lessons that we've talked about through Essentials. Uh, The lesson this morning is not actually in the packet. It's a synthesis of, of some basic principles and practices of spending time with God. And where I want to begin this morning is simply looking at the question, why? Why do we spend time with God? I'm going to give you two reasons. The first is intimacy. A relationship with God, and you might explain this as you're sharing the gospel, that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And as with all relationships, you can actually grow in your intimacy in that relationship. Jesus described it in the most succinct terms like this. This is eternal life. That they may know you, speaking of his Father the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And when Jesus spoke, he wasn't talking about academic knowledge about God, but relational experiential knowledge. He says, this is eternal life. And in John's theology, as he's describing what he learned from Jesus, eternal life is not something that's in the distant future that you someday will begin to experience. Eternal life is something you begin to possess the moment that you trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. It's not just longevity of life, it's a quality of life. And Jesus says, this is what eternal life is. It's to know God. And to grow in intimacy in that relationship. And that is really difficult to describe to someone who's never experienced it. If you've ever had that that opportunity. But it's difficult to describe. The more I spend time with God, the more I, I, I appreciate his character, his personality. The more I spend time reading his word and I understand what God loves what God desires for me, what God's will is for me and for the world, for those around me, the more I begin to appreciate what what a perfect person God is. And the more I long to spend more time with him. The Apostle Paul described his own experience like this. I now count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Paul says, the more that I know Christ, the more that I want to know Christ, the more I want to grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ. The reason that we spend time with God is that this relationship actually can grow in intimacy. We are already completely known by God, and we can begin to know him more and more and more as we spend time with him. The second reason we spend time with God is to be transformed by God. And we become like the people that we spend time with, it's true of human relationships. It's also true of God. I remember uh, years ago when Tristan and I were doing student ministry, there was a student who had uh, a really strange laugh. Um, it was, 
uh, you know, just kind of halting, strange laughing. Uh, he was a very influential student in our ministry, and pretty soon uh, all the students uh, around him started to laugh exactly like he laughed. And, you know, it was funny because they'd all get together and they all kind of, you know, this weird laugh. And none of them realized that they were all, that they all sounded really strange and they all sounded like him. And, you know, the nice thing was he was influential in other ways. He was a really godly guy. But the fact is, whether it's little idiosyncrasies like the way that we laugh or the cadence of our speech or whatever, whether we dress or more deep and profound things like character, we influence others and others influence us. It's the same with our relationship with God. As we are with him, we become like him. Remember what uh, the, the leaders of Israel said about the apostles after Jesus had left and these men began to preach. They said, you know, we recognize them. They, they were the ones who have been with Jesus. And simply because they've been with Jesus and allowed him to influence them, they were becoming more and more and more like Jesus. Again, I take you to the Apostle Paul. He describes the process like this. My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. It's a beautiful short description. Paul says, what I want to see happen is I want to see Christ infuse your personality. Who you are does not disappear, but Christ begins to infuse your personality so that all that God designed you to be, you become the best of that. All of your wonderful and good qualities that God has placed within you begin to reflect and radiate the personality of Jesus Christ. Maybe this morning you're saying, Brian, I've got a lot of exposure to religion. I've been around church and church people a lot, but a relationship with God, I don't know that that's how I would describe what I have with God. The fact is, the moment that each and every one of us come into this world, we are described as being born dead. Obviously not physically dead, but we are born spiritually separated. That's what death is. It's a a separation. And spiritual death is separation from God. We are born dead because we're born sinful people. We don't simply become sinful people because of our sinful actions. We're born in a condition that the Bible describes as separated from God. Our spirit, our innermost being, is separated from God. It chooses of its own accord to live separate from God, even as babies. And you begin to see that sin nature working its way out immediately in the behavior and the attitudes of children. Well, that's the way we're born. We're born separated or born dead. The moment that we believe in Jesus Christ, we come to life. That's what's called regeneration, to be born again. A second birth, a physical birth, followed by a spiritual birth. Our spirit becomes connected to the spirit of God. God's spirit begins to live inside of us, having removed the debt of sin because Christ paid for that on the cross, and we are now alive spiritually. And because we are now alive spiritually, we have the hope that we will, in fact, live forever. That is, we will have eternal life, now and forever. That is the gospel message. You receive that life simply when you believe. Say, God, I believe. I believe that Jesus Christ removed the debt of my sin and he alone can make me alive. I trust him. And when you do that, God's spirit begins to live inside of you. And as Mike read earlier, this is the beginning of a process in the Christian life. Again, I refer you to Paul. He describes it like this. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. This is probably my my single favorite verse on the spiritual life. 
It's a progressive process. We are being transformed. We're being transformed into the very same image that is the image of Jesus Christ. It begins gloriously because you were made in the image of God. Even though you're fallen and sinful and you're born dead, you're in the image of God. And you're moving from that state into a state of glory that reflects Jesus Christ. And one day when we die or when we are raptured and we see Jesus Christ face to face, we will ultimately be transformed and that process is called glorification. But right now, God is transforming us. Why should we spend time with God? Because it changes us and it makes us into who God has designed us to be. Now, how do we do it? How do we spend time with God, practically speaking? Throughout church history, this has been described as uh, spiritual disciplines. I would describe spiritual disciplines basically as making ourselves accessible to God. Now, we're going to spend some more time talking about spiritual disciplines and how they relate to uh, our new nature in Christ, when we get to the end of Romans chapter, the beginning of Romans chapter 6, we're going to pause and talk about that a little bit uh, later on in the semester, but I want to spend a little bit of time as we wrap up essentials talking about spending time with God and how we do so through spiritual disciplines or basically making ourselves accessible to God, to be with him and to be transformed by him. Okay? Spiritual disciplines are very simply, they're activities of our mind and activities of our body the places at God's disposal so he can change us. Okay? Quick outline. Historically, spiritual disciplines have been divided into two categories. There are disciplines of engagement, things we do. Disciplines of abstinence, things we refrain from doing. So, engagement, there's prayer, study of God's word, meditation of God's word, scripture memory, worship, that is declaring God's praise. Sometimes we do it privately, sometimes we get together and do it. Uh, Disciplines of service, that is, acts that we do on behalf of others for Jesus Christ. Fellowship, that is, spending time with other believers for the purpose of encouraging one another in Christ. Okay, hanging out is fine, and you know, playing Xbox is great for kids. Go, you know, do that. Don't call it fellowship. Okay, Uh, it may be a youth group meeting. It's not fellowship yet. Fellowship is when we spend time with one another for the purpose of encouraging one another toward our. Mutual maturity in Jesus Christ, okay? Disciplines of abstinence, solitude. is getting away from our daily routines and just being alone. So the noise can die down and we can listen to the voice of God. Silence. Fasting. Um, I won't get a chance to get deeply into this, but years ago I did a a sermon series on all these spiritual disciplines. um, and, And I do want to make the point, fasting, we don't fast from sinful activities. Okay, that's just obedience, Fasting <laughs> pertains to stopping things that normally are just neutral or good things, right? Okay, food, for example, is one of the most common, but you can fast from sugar, you could fast from uh, your engagement with social media, the internet, whatever. It's, it's, a, it's an interruption of your normal routine. So you allow God to get your attention, okay? Uh, frugality, that is uh, living within your means, maybe even below, so you have an opportunity to give to others, okay? These are different spiritual disciplines or activities of the mind and the body that allow us to enter into God's presence for him to have access to us. Now, what I'd like to talk about for a moment is how do they work? Okay, practically speaking, how do, how do spiritual disciplines work? The word discipline uh, is actually a Greek word, uh, gymnazo. probably recognize where that, uh, what that derives into in English. Gymnasium, for example. Okay, you could also translate it Training. Paul encourages his disciple, Timothy, 
with these words in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. In other words, Paul's saying uh, there are all kinds of disciplines. There's bodily discipline. There, there are intellectual disciplines. There are spiritual disciplines. And a discipline is simply a process of training. And I think sometimes we over-spiritualize the spiritual life. When you engage in disciplines in any area of life, it has a transforming effect on you, whether that's intellectual, bodily, or spiritual. This is how disciplines work. Now, I want to give you an illustration. Character is shaped by training. No matter what it is, again, we over-spiritualize. It doesn't matter if you're trying to learn how to dance or if you learn how to, learn how to uh, do some other athletic thing, or you're trying to learn uh, an intellectual discipline, trying to learn calculus, if you practice and you do problem sets, you're going to get better and faster and learn them more quickly. Uh, you're going to get your body into routine, so you learn how to do this particular dance or athletic activity. Uh, it's, it's the same in physical things, in spiritual things, in mental things. It's always the same. Okay? This is simply how it functions. Now, imagine for a moment that... Um, you have somehow gotten yourself into a professional baseball game. And you're standing at the plate. And the uh, pitcher winds up, and he throws at you a 95-mile-an-hour fastball. I don't know if you've ever stood in front of a, a fastball like that. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was uh, up in Oklahoma, and my brother-in-law, he, he used to pitch for the Astros. So I had my glove with him. I said, let's throw a little bit, right? You know, I used to pitch. <laughs> right. <laughs> so... Uh, you know, uh, old, old guys always relive whatever, their athletic things. So we start throwing, and it was amazing throwing with a professional pitcher because it's, you know, it's just, it looks effortless, and he just releases the ball, and then, shoot, you know, and it's just popping in. I mean, wow, how fast is that? And, you know, he said, well, it's, you know, maybe 75, 80. <laughs> wow, okay, come on, bring it, because he used to throw about 95, 98 miles an hour. So uh, he starts throwing some balls, and it's, it's amazing how quickly that ball releases from his hand and lands in my glove. And, and if I don't catch it right in the web, it doesn't feel good at all. I mean, it's really pop, pop, pop. Kids came out and they're watching. They're like, wow, daddy, throw faster. <laughs> That's all I got. That's it. Okay, well, I, I discovered that when a real pitcher throws a fastball, 95 miles an hour, from the time that the ball leaves his hand to the time that it crosses the plate, it's four-tenths of a second. Okay, four-tenths of a second. So how is it possible that a batter ever hits that ball? Well, what the batter does during the game is simply react. He reacts based upon all of the training. If he spent a lot of time hitting thousands of fastballs and looking at thousands of curveballs, and he's had a good coach that trains him well, then when he's in the pressure situation in the midst of a game and that 95-mile-an-hour fastball is coming at him, he reacts and reacts well. Because he's trained well. Now he may also learn something about fastballs in that moment. And may grow in his knowledge and hit better next time. But by and large he's reacting based upon the training. And the same is true of us. We face the 95 mile an hour fastballs of life. And we react. And our reactions reveal how well have we trained. Hopefully, as we're facing each and every one of those 95-mile-an-hour fastballs, we're learning something from the process. 
But we're also revealing the level of our training. It is true in physical things. It is true in spiritual things. God gives us these methods because they train and shape our character. However, the the training that happens uh, is indirect. This is a principle of spiritual growth. It's a principle of the spiritual disciplines. The training happens indirectly. Again, let me, let me illustrate to make this point. Uh, imagine that someone has, has wronged me deeply. And I, I feel angry and I feel hateful. Uh, I really would like some form of retribution, whether I give it directly or someone else gives it. And each time I see that person, I'm reminded of the event and the anger stirs up inside of me. I can physically feel it. And I walk away from these encounters. I sit down. I begin to have a quiet time. I'm spending time with God. And I begin to read. I read Ephesians 4. It says, forgive. Forgive one another. I say to myself, yeah. I need to forgive. I'm going to love him. I choose to love. Next time I see that person, I'm not going to feel angry. I'm going to love. Close the book. Walk away. Next time I see that person, how will I feel? I'm probably going to be angry still and hateful. Right? I just can't ah, love. I just can't, you know, I just, I just can't make myself do it. Because I don't have direct control over my emotions. Indirectly, though, God can transform my response to that person. What can happen as I'm sitting and reading the word is I can be reminded, I'm to forgive because God has forgiven me so much. I am in debt. And maybe I study that passage in Ephesians 4 and I memorize it. It's on my dashboard. It's on the the mirror in my bathroom sink. And I begin to meditate upon that. I begin to think, you know, God, I realize that person doesn't know your son, Jesus Christ. And maybe they'll see in my forgiveness the way that Christ has forgiven all of us, our debt. Maybe I decide, you know, secretly, Lord, I think what I'm going to do, I know he's out of town. I'm going to mow his lawn. I'm just going to go and serve him just as a sheer act of the will, and I'm not even going to trim his shrubs, right? I'm just going to mow his lawn and do it nicely. I'm going to serve. And the next time I see him, what happens? Probably, my first reaction is, but then the Holy Spirit has some ammunition that has been embedded within me so that indirectly he can change my character. And the Holy Spirit whispers into my ear, remember, remember that time you spent in Ephesians chapter 4? You've been forgiven much. To whom much is given, much is required. You're a debtor to Jesus Christ. And you're rich in Christ. You have so much to give. Remember, he doesn't know Jesus Christ. Maybe he'll see in your response the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And so for a few moments I'm angry and then I step back and my attitude is changed. And then the next time I see him, maybe I react a little bit in anger, but the the response time is a little shorter and I get to the point of forgiveness a little quicker. And then gradually each time I see him, it changes because I'm continuing to spend time with God and continuing to allow God to change my mind and my attitude, my perspective on everything. And pretty soon my natural reaction when I see that person is love. I I don't forget the incident, but I say, God, how did this happen? I, I love. Okay? That's, that's how training happens, but it happens indirectly. And so we spend time with God so that we will grow in intimacy with God, but also so that God can change us because we want our natural reactions to be like Jesus Christ. 
Fourth, growth is progressive. I want to dispel a myth that I see in a lot of uh, pop Christian literature today. Uh, There's not a mature person inside you that's just bursting, trying to get out, and you just kind of need to peel away the layers, and all of a sudden you'll just discover, wow, I'm mature. That's just not how spiritual life works. Paul says when you are born into Christ, you're regenerated, you are born as a babe in Christ. We're all born immature in Christ, and we all have areas of immaturity. It's just, it's just a fact. And this growth is progressive. So Paul says we are all being transformed into the image of God. The writer of Hebrews said it like this. Solid food is for the mature. He says, I don't, don't keep drinking milk only, because solid food is for the mature, who through practice have their senses trained, that's the word for discipline, to discern good and evil. Progressively, they have become trained to discern good and evil. They've grown in maturity progressively. Great illustration of this. Uh, years ago, Leonard Ravenhill, he was a revival preacher of a previous generation. He was telling a story about a group of American tourists that were traveling through Europe. And, uh, you know, like typical American tourists, they were loud and they were boisterous as they were coming through. And they came to this picturesque little village. And uh, one of the tourists saw an old man sitting on a bench. He walked up to the old man and he said, Tell me, sir. Were there any great men born in this town? The man looked at him for a moment and he said, No, only babies. <laughs> okay? It's the same in spiritual life. And maybe right now you feel like I'm a baby in Christ in this particular area. And it may be because you are training yourself to think like the world thinks. And you're training yourself to love what the world loves. And if you train that way, guess what? You will become like the world and you will not mature in Jesus Christ. But if you progressively train yourself to think like God thinks, to love what God loves, God will transform you. And your character, your nature, your natural responses to things will become like Jesus Christ. Now, fifth principle, disciplines can become legalistic. Sure. You can begin to practice spiritual disciplines for the sake of the spiritual disciplines themselves, and you can measure yourself and your practices against those of others. Because we love to measure ourselves and we love to compare ourselves. Sure, spiritual disciplines can become legalistic. They don't have to become legalistic. They are a gift to God from us. And when we pursue them with an attitude of grace, not as a form of measurement, they're very effective in our lives. A few years ago, Dallas Willard wrote a wonderful book. It's called Spirit of the Disciplines. I would highly encourage you to read this book. I think it's the best uh, gracious approach to how spiritual disciplines work. In it, he said this. The activities constituting the disciplines have no value in themselves. The aim and substance of spiritual life is not fasting, prayer, hymn singing, frugal living, and so forth. Rather, it is the effective and full enjoyment of active love of God and humankind in all the daily rounds of normal existence. In other words, these things are not ends in and of themselves. The point is to have God infused into every activity of life. And the fact that we need to study the scripture so much and memorize so much of the scripture is just an illustration of the fact that we're so mature, so immature in so many areas, right? Okay, so it's not the disciplines themselves. I'm not more mature because I pray so much more than some other person. I am so needy. That's why I need so much time in prayer. Okay? So God has given these things to us to use so that God has access to us and we have access to him and he can transform us and we can grow in intimacy. So what should it look like? 
I want to give you a few principles. Uh, principles that, uh, not specific guidelines of what you should do this week, but just principles that have worked in my own life. Uh, and I'm going to give you four. Okay, four things that need to be true of the way that I spend time with God. The first is consistency. Like with any relationship. If I'm not consistently spending time with my wife, well, we're, just, we're not growing in intimacy. We're not communicating well. We, I need consistent time with her. I need uh, the periodic update where we quickly catch up. But then I need time just to, to be with her. No agenda. We can have just a long time together, just to linger together. It is the same with the Lord. Okay? I need time with him. I need consistent time with him. I personally, I need a plan or I will get nothing done in my relationship with the Lord. I got to have some kind of plan or nothing will happen because all kinds of other events constantly crowd out my attention for God. So I need consistency, but I also need variety. I need things to change. Again, I I can't help but compare it to my relationship with, with my wife. You know, relationship, it's not just punching the buttons. Okay, you know, we had our 10-minute checkup yesterday, and we, we're going to have today. Ready? Here, this is our 10 minutes. Okay, we did it. Okay, how about, you ready? Okay, it's Wednesday. Got 10 minutes? Good, got it. Okay, now we're, oh, we're getting tight. Uh, you know, it's just, uh, it, it, it's, if I don't have variety, then I do become legalistic. I'm just going through the mo- motions. I'm just checking off boxes. I need change. Okay, I, I think it's because we're all created in the, in the image of God, and we are creative. So, third principle, I need freedom. I need a plan, but I know I'm going to need to change that plan. Okay? That's just the way it is. Uh, Next week, we're going to talk about uh, our children's ministry and some of the things in our children's ministry that I think are going to influence uh, some of the things in the life of our whole church. We're going to talk about our kids and their spiritual growth, but also how we spend time with them. And as families how we grow together, as how we help form character. And these principles are going to influence also the way that I think we operate as a whole church. These principles are true, whether it's your own spiritual life, I see them particularly when you're spending time with other people or with your children. You know, with our kids, our kids need variety too. They, you know, we flip open the same devotional book and we go night after night after night after night after night and pretty soon, I mean, really quickly with kids, they just mentally check out. Ultimately, what they need is they need us to begin to help them see God in everything. Okay? We're going to talk about that next week. But for me, I need consistency, variety, and freedom. There are seasons in life. There are seasons where getting up early in the morning and spending time with the Lord works really well, and it's exactly what I need. And then there are times, there are seasons in life when that doesn't work well, you know, I, 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 you know, I've talked about this before, but I'm particularly sensitive to young moms because I saw my wife live through that young mom stage. And, you know, for young moms, when the baby naps, mommy needs a nap. The most spiritual thing mommy can do is take a nap. We had a chaplain at seminary who used to say that sometimes to us. Say, the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. You know, you're feeling uncomfortable with God right now. Well, maybe it's just a bad taco, he would say. You know, maybe there's something, maybe it's physical. Maybe it's physical. If I'm self-aware, I know there are things that hinder my relationship with God. One of them is fatigue. Physical fatigue will crush my relationship with the Lord. Busyness crushes my relationship with the Lord. Because when I am overly busy, I begin to feel like I'm a victim of my schedule. That is contrary to the image of God in you. 
Because you're made in the image of God, you make choices. Real and powerful choices. And when you are feeling a victim of your schedule, you're not stepping back and saying, no, I can choose. I I may not be able to choose everything. There may be a block of hours that I owe to the employer. There may be some blocks of hours that I am obligated to stuff with family. But I still have choices to make. And I can choose to be with God. And when I'm overly busy, I forget that fundamental principle that I am an agent of God and I make choices. So I need these things. I need consistency. I need variety. I need freedom. And I need self-awareness. What works for me and what doesn't work for me. And what seasons of life am I in? And the longer you grow with the Lord, you're going to learn. There are dry times in these seasons of life. And for you uh, folks who've, who've walked longer with the Lord, part of your duty to those who haven't walked as long with the Lord, who are as mature in the Lord, is to help them through these seasons. Okay, dry times. Maybe they're dry times because sin needs to be confessed. Maybe they're dry times because of physical fatigue. Maybe they're dry times that you can never figure out why they're dry. But if you look at the greatest saints in the Bible, almost all of them had times when their relationship with the Lord was just challenging and strained, but they continued to pursue God. Elijah, I think, is one of the greatest illustrations. He comes from literally a mountaintop experience with God. And he is hours later in the pit of despair. And God knows why. Because he's spiritually tapped out and he's physically tapped out. And so God puts him in a place where he can literally take a nap and eat and be refreshed by the Spirit of God. And so, how do we put it in practice? Um, a little while back, I, I wrote to, uh, several months ago, I wrote to some friends. And I said, talk to me about your spiritual practices and what do you do? And I gleaned a lot of, of interesting and useful information. But uh, one quote in particular I want to give you from uh, uh, a young woman who goes to Grace Bible Church. I thought this was just a, a beautiful summation. She said this. She said, it still comes down to me making a choice to spend focused time with him. I have to believe it is necessary for my well-being that the word is the bread of life, and without it, I will starve. It's easy to let the urgent take priority over what's most important. So this morning, uh, rather than giving you a prescription for what you should do this week, I wanted to give you some basic principles. If you want to dive into this deeper, I'd encourage you to look at Spirit of the Disciplines by uh, Dallas Willard. It's a good practical book. But uh, I wanted to lay out for you principles so that you're not tempted to measure yourself this semester based upon what I say this morning. I just want to give you one encouragement. Make a plan. Okay? Make a plan for how you will draw near to God more deeply over the next several months. Start with that plan. You may need to adjust it. But you need to have a plan if you want to move forward in your relationship with God. As we close, uh, we have an opportunity to celebrate communion together. Communion uh, is our reminder of the very foundation of our relationship with God. The cup is a reminder of the blood of Jesus Christ. The bread is a reminder of his broken body, his sacrifice for us. Because of that, we have life. Because of that, we have at least a little bit of an understanding of how much God values us, that he would give his son to draw us back. This relationship that we're talking about this morning, this relationship with God is the most valuable thing that you possess. So as the men are coming forward and they're serving us, I'd like to take a few moments and just uh, contemplate how am I going to grow in my relationship with God? How am I going to take advantage of this relationship and draw near to him? Let's take just a few moments and meditate on that. 
And then we'll take the cup and we'll take the bread together. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it in front of his disciples and he said, this bread is my body. It's broken for you. It represents the physical suffering that Jesus had to undergo as a result of our sins. Let's take the bread together. He then took the cup, a cup of wine, and he told his disciples, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This cup uh, represents the establishment of a new relationship that I will have with you. It's through my blood poured out for you to forgive your sins. Let's take the cup together. Father, I pray that uh, even in some small way we would uh, comprehend more deeply the value of our relationship with you, that you love us so much that you were willing to, to even give your son so that we could be reconciled to you and that that would stir up our hearts to be with you. I pray, Father, that um, all the other cares and concerns, many of them legitimate, would not crowd out the time that we have with you to grow in intimacy and also to be transformed by your spirit to have the very personality of Christ reflected through us. Things that we love and value, the choices that we make, the words that we speak. Father, I thank you for Christ. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.